Hey, Claire. Yep. It's been a big fortnight, hasn't it? It has. Uh, We had to say goodbye to our little chef, our beautiful dog Squeak, but we've been lovingly looked after by our friends. We have. I can't describe the love that's felt when someone comes to your home when you're hurting and they take over your kitchen and they make you nourishing food. We've been eating our feelings. (laughs) Some of those feelings are even in the shape of pastries. (laughs) But it's been really, really hard to lose a member of our family and we thought, as a huge part of this week's episode is about family, we dedicate this episode to Squeak. Our guest this week is the big-hearted artist Lily Nicholson, she, her. And she lives on unceded Ewan land near Tarthra on the far south coast of New South Wales. I'd like to pay my respects to the ancestors and elders of that land that we love so dearly. Family is a fundamental part of Lily's life, and she invited us to her home that she's made with her partner Jono and two hilarious kids, Dusty and Skip. They all made us feel part of their family when we ventured out to their place. And we talked about parenting as an artist, living off the land and supporting local artists after the Black Summer Fires of 2020. Let's find out what Lily Nicholson eats. Let's. I grew up here. My partner and I met here, but then we moved up north um, and lived in Ballina for uh, years while I went through art school at Lismore Uni. Made lots of creative connections, I think. So often people think that I still live there, I think, mm. because they kind of see those connections, that I, that network that I still have, and they're like, oh, you're not, you don't live in Byron? And I'm like, no, I mm. live a very long way away. When I was just finishing, I think it was in my last year of art school, my mum sent us a newspaper clipping of the mm-hmm. property in you know for sale and Jono was working away at the, at, in the mines at the time and he was like right I want to move home eventually mm-hmm. I was not ready at all <laughs> <laughs> he's like let's do it and I was like oh my gosh his his parents came and had a look at it and we bought it I didn't you know we'd never seen it um but he was so adamant that he wanted to return home and I'd finished art school and I'd started exhibiting and um, I spent that first year just casual teaching and kind of going and exploring the places around here and going back up to Sydney, exhibiting up there, and then Byron. We had Dusty, our first baby. That kind of slowed things but also sped things up in a different way creatively. Mm-hmm. But I think I developed an ability to pick and choose what I really wanted to do then. I really I was like, that. I'm not just going to do everything that's thrown at me. I'm not going to collaborate with everyone. I'm not going to exhibit everywhere. I'm just going to really hone in on the things I really want to do. And I think most mother artists will tell you that you become very good at using your time well. You don't spend hours in the studio when you've got half an hour and you've got to quickly do something and, mm-hmm. you know, keep things set up. I've had a few shows throughout that time, mm-hmm. Sydney, Byron, and now I'm back here and keeping on going. What kind of paper do you work on? Uh, it depends on the brand and mm-hmm. what's available, living in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but it's always above 300 GSM. Great, yeah. Yep. So it's always, because when working with water, you need to have something that's quite thick yeah. so that it won't um, bend and change its structure. Yeah. And I'm yeah. saying some of your edges are just beautiful. So are you tearing most of them? Are you getting like a big piece of paper and yeah. then tearing it up? And Oh, because yeah. they're gorgeous. Mm. Unless... I do one on a full piece of paper. Yeah. But, um, yeah, normally I, I'll tear mm. them myself. Never cut. Oh, so God, I think yeah. We learnt, never cut paper. So. I, I learnt it the hard way. Yeah. It's a very bad idea. The trick is to get a wet paintbrush mm. and your metal ruler and you paint yes. the line that you want to cut first, that, that you want to tear first, and then, and then oh. you do it. Printmaker's oh trick. <laughs> this is amazing. I can go home now. This is fine. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys finish your tea and chat. And cut. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> and cut. Wow. And how do you stop the paper from curling or do you find that because it's such good quality, nice thick paper, it just holds its form? I think earlier in my practice when I was kind of teaching myself and learning how to do what I'm doing, I used too much water or Mm -hmm. I just worked the works too much. There's a point where you actually have to stop no matter what it looks like. And if it's not resolved, then you just go, oh, well, that's Mm. not going to work. But um, I think, yeah, they always have a bit of a bend in them yeah. it's just the nature of working with water and paper and 
the structure of the paper just changes. Yeah. It feels like colour is is vital to you mm. when I even just looking around your space and seeing your works. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I'm a bit obsessed. Like <laughs> Me too, so this is great. <laughs> like next level with colour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it definitely gives me a sense of real satisfaction in being able to control a, a palette mm-hmm. and what I'm putting down. Yeah. And, and I really do immerse myself in a colour for like, bl- it's blue at the moment. I'm I just, saw, I'm yeah. obsessed On with your Instagram, blue. Yeah, yeah, when I was having I was like, this is just luscious. Mm. Um, especially being up here, I can really see almost like a change of the seasons as well mm. in like some of the colours and some of the blues. I see so much of this beautiful land in what you make mm. um, in the shapes, the colours, and have you always been connected to nature or inspired by it? Is it something that's always come out? I think currently at the moment, yes, definitely this place is a really big influence on my work, particularly after COVID um, and lockdowns and mm. not being able to go anywhere. Um, I think my work certainly turned, you know, that corner and I was just really focused on the places that I was visiting with the kids every day and, mm. you know, we were just stuck here, which is not mm. terrible at all. Yeah. I will never say that, you know, in any way, shape or form was lockdown a terrible thing for us. Um, we're really fortunate and I think I, it, you know, I developed a real sense of gratefulness um, for this place. We were spending most days initially, we were first not allowed anywhere, we were mm. spending most days here on the on our property and mm. then, um, you know, maybe ducking down to the neighbours' cows to feed them banana peels or something. Or yeah. <laughs> Dusty became very good friends with the horse next door. And then when we were allowed out for our hour a day, we would go down to the beaches in the national park around us and th- that kind of became ingrained in our everyday routine and I wasn't able to go anywhere so, and I was, wasn't working so whenever I'd get in the studio that was what was yeah. inspiring me at the time and mm. it's just, you know, continued. Yeah. When you sort of entered that studio environment, you'd just been out, you'd just absorbed all of this inspiration. Mm. Was it quite an intuitive kind of get the marks down on the paper sort of process or were you a bit more meticulous with making sketches and smaller studies before you committed to like the actual final work like how did your process work there um I generally do start with sketches Mm -hmm. um I think they're very simplified very into the shape of things and Weirdly, when I was a kid, when I first started doing this, mum was like, oh, when you were a kid, and she pulled out all these old drawings. Mm-hmm. Whenever we'd drive somewhere, you would draw a map of where we'd been. And so I had all these like little drawings on bits of paper of the roads that we'd go on and the trees and then the water tanks and the horses. And, you know, we, I grew up here in the country. And, yeah. and so it was almost like I was redoing that. I was drawing maps and Dusty, my son, he's very into maps and he was doing that too. And I was like, oh, okay, this is our process. We draw a map, like a, almost a topographical map of the place that we've been and then I just would simplify that with shapes and, you know, create a work. I think that's ah. that's where I've got to at this point. I when he was, that's a great yeah, process. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so interesting because yeah. I do that in a lot of ways as well and also I think sometimes I'm very topographic and sometimes mm. – there's this sort of snapshot of the landscape, but what's underneath me as yeah. well. I'm thinking about the geology of underneath yeah, and the layer of that yeah. and that. So when you say that, I'm like, oh, that yeah. makes complete sense. It yeah. just feels nice to feel like that's, yeah, yeah, that language makes complete sense. When yeah, when he was little, when I first had had Dusty and I was making work then, it was completely different because it was my whole world was just him mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. home and being yeah. a mum. And, and so my work was sketches of him co-sleeping which we had never intended but as a mum that's what happens yeah it's easy and you're tired it's never how you intended Um, well some people do but yeah for me I was like nope there were lots of like maps of us in bed sleeping and him rolling around on the floor playing and Mm. that's then Mm. how I started that process of drawing sketches of him and then creating these simplified form works of that and now it's now it's as they've they're older and that's not much, so much my focus anymore. It's really the landscape around us. And and after the fires too, I think there was definitely that huge sense of, I think going from the fires and being like, oh my gosh, we're so incredibly lucky that it was so close to us yeah. and we still have this beautiful land to mm. live on that's, you know, and a home mm. and so many people didn't. I think 
that was like this overwhelming sense of appreciation and gratefulness for the land. But then also then we were stuck here for so long. Like, I mm. think that really embedded that in me. Yeah. And I'm still doing that. Are you somebody who will follow a recipe? Is it that idea of like going for the sketch and going for like that preparation or are mm. you very much like I'm just going to explore and see what happens and yeah. get in with my hands and kind of just make? I think I'm definitely, I like to think that I am would like to follow a recipe but I'm <laughs> I'm pretty bad at following instructions, as my mum would say. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I don't do recipes. I start with the recipe, but mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, oh, I'll just put a bit of extra of this, or you know, yeah. and it and it means that things don't always turn out the best way. But I do just like to taste as I go. Yes. Yeah, mm. yeah, making soups or pies or you know, just making sure <laughs> yeah. and experimenting and repeating them over and over again until I get it right. Definitely, I always find that recipes, if you follow them they always end up either like under-seasoned mm. or just yep. a little bit not as rich as you mm. might have hoped. And so if you just taste along the way, then yep. you can always add a little bit more seasoning or yep. herbs or yep. like a bit of extra lemon or something yep. just to like bring it up to your taste because mm. we all taste differently. Yeah. Yeah. So that one person's idea of how they immortalize that yeah. recipe and like get those proportions down yeah. might suit their taste. But, you know, we all experience food differently so yeah we have to use our senses and Mm. get in there and taste stuff along the way yeah and often not being I find I'm you know I live out of town so I can't just duck to the shop and go and buy something if I have if I've forgotten to order it Mm -hmm. um you know if I've forgotten to put it in the groceries that week then I just have to substitute or leave something out or so it is much more of an intuitive thing yeah I'm not I'm not very good at following recipes (laughs) Do you think Mm. actually living far away from a shop that you can, like if you are missing an ingredient, do you think that has heightened your sense and maybe made you a bit more creative with the ingredients that you can substitute? Yeah, I'm good at substituting. I'm Mm. good at Googling how do I (laughs) substitute (laughs) this ingredient and, and putting it in there, yeah. If you feel comfy or if there's, you know, anything you want to tell us about your ancestral background and how it might have impacted your relationship to food or like your attitude towards it, Mm. is there anything that sort of comes up when you think of sort of the people that have come before you or that you've grown up with? The meal that I guess I've I've provided today is my carrot cake from Mm. my mum. She actually made it for us because it needs to always be made by her. (laughs) Um, And tea. It's like a kind of ceremonial thing when my auntie and my mum and I get together Mm. and she made a carrot cake for pretty much every single week of my schooling life and I would have a piece of carrot cake every day for school and now (laughs) my kids have them (laughs) so it's really been passed down yeah yeah you know she went through this phase of her life where everything was organic and homegrown and raw and you know before it was trendy and Mm -hmm. Mm. so I grew up like that in my mm-hmm. you know younger years and so this cake is very like kind of stodgy and filling and mm, homey fabulous. and it's yeah and it's a real sense of home when I eat it yeah. even if I've eaten it to death yeah and I never want to eat it again it's still it's very, you know there's a real sense of home with it it's like that anchor yeah. point yeah I can't wait to eat it yeah what was your earliest food memory I don't oh, if it's not carrot cake no well carrot cake's <laughs> yep. <laughs> I do remember as a kid, um, I, you know, I don't know if this is my youngest one, but mum, we had our own veggie garden. Um, we kind of grew up a bit further inland in, in Candelo till I was about six and she had a beautiful garden and I would sit, she'd sit me in a box next to her while she gardened <laughs> and just so feed clever. me, feed me like, you know, peas and beans and whatever. And I also remember that we used to get raw milk delivered Fabulous. and I hate it. <laughs> so you know there's this whole raw food movement that's been happening I remember mm. being at uni and all my friends are like oh my god we're into like raw milk milk and you know and I was like oh I can't I, have done. I, I, I can't done. goat milk and you know so I just craved milk from the shop and you know food was always a real we eat because we need to not yep. for the sake of it being kind of a glamorous mm. thing I don't think I necessarily feel that way now, but growing up, it was, mm-hmm. it was real. Yeah. Was growing food and eating yeah. off the land that similar thing as well yeah. that you just had to do it that way? Yeah. And yeah. so 
I guess when you started to see this organic and homegrown and raw movement, how did you relate to that as an adult having grown up with that? Yeah, I thought it was pretty hilarious yeah. <laughs> initially. Yeah. But now we actually have our own really quite big veg garden and orchard, which is particularly during lockdown, we were growing all our own food. And so it kind of became necessary yeah. growing up. Mum was a stay-at-home mum, single mum, mm-hmm. so we didn't have a lot of money. So it was a necessary thing for us to yeah. Yeah. survive as well. I think we always had that relationship to food as it's not just about, you know, the pleasure of food. It's actually yeah. something yeah. we need to nourish our bodies. and It's that sustenance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, you being raised by a single mum. Mm plus her tending to the garden, Mm. the time and effort required to grow food, if you have good soil and you set things up to work for you, is it it not as time-consuming as hard as as I'm kind of reacting to maybe thinking that it is? It it is Um, time-consuming. Initially there's a lot of work in setting it up, Mm. making sure that it's (laughs) the animals can't get into it. (laughs) It's a big thing here. Um, I think... I guess it comes in cycles. Mm. You know, we have cycles of where it's producing heaps and then your all your work is going into picking and harvesting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. cooking mm-hmm. and making sure that, you know, it's not going to go, you've got like a whole table full of tomatoes, what are you going to do with yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to preserve them or give mm-hmm. them to friends or and then everyone's over eating tomatoes. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, yeah, it's very time-consuming. Mm. I think anyone who, who gardens, there's definitely has to be a love for it. Yeah. But there's been certain times when the whole table has been filled with things that we've either grown or caught or Jono's dad's, you know, he's a big fisherman, so he's always got a freezer full of fish and, yeah, it's really special. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking about, like, the creativity of your mum and you being, like, really immersed in that literal experience of her picking things and feeding them to you. What's your earliest art memory? Is there something that feels like that ties back to that kind of time? Yeah, we lived in this big old kind of Queenslander, which Mm -hmm. is odd because it's like the coldest town (laughs) ever. And Candelow is is really cold. It's like and windy too. Yeah, and it's this little little kind of hilly valley, and Mm -hmm. then you know the river runs through it, and at the back of it's the the mountains where it actually does snow in the middle of winter. So. Yeah, we lived in this big old ramshackling Queenslander and it was cold and but just down the hill they I just I don't have this vivid memory of this artwork by one of mum's friends, Liam Ryan, of her and I. And it really made an impact that he'd he'd made this work of mum and I. I think she was holding me. Mum and my dad they lived separately and then I don't know if together out on a communal farm, cow's yeah. nest out past Candlelight yep. um, before they had me and Liam, this artist, was out there too. And I, I feel like it was painted out there in one of the houses out there. It's like a communal property with lots of little farms. Um, yeah. And it's still running now, Cow's yeah. Nest is. Should I've go visit. that. Yeah. They've got a um, little roadside stall out there. Yeah. My dad's mm-hmm. still a big part of it. His, his wife is, you know, she founded it. So. Right. Yeah. It's like this weird that. cyclical thing of mum mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. on this property with – her and now, you know, yeah, and she was works. a big part of now, yep, together. <laughs> and so you're, I mean, we kind of covered this before because you, you grew up on you and land and that mm. informed your art practice. I guess is there anything else to say about how that might be reflecting back in your work now? You know, there's definitely this this huge shift in our cultural perspective of Indigenous culture and appreciation mm. for it. You know, the school that my, my son goes to, you know, they created their own acknowledgement for country the other day and really owned it. And they talk about how important mm-hmm. that is in respecting the Indigenous people here. And um, and I think in the way that I make my work, there's always this sense of that I'm just here on someone else's land. Yeah. And I really want to instill that in my kids. And we talk about it quite often every time we're, mm. you know, at B3 or middle or whatever, one of those bitches, and we yeah. just talk about, remember those people who, you know, who have been here for thousands of years, mm-hmm. like they're, we both have, John and I both have this real sense of belonging here. Yeah. He's got generations of people who've literally grown up swimming in these beaches. He learned to swim in these beaches. His yeah. dad learned to swim, swim in these beaches. And I often say to the boys, I'm like, that's so special. But can you imagine if that was thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of generations of your family being here? Yeah. Imagine how that feels, like it's really mm-hmm. special. 
And to be learning yeah. that so young, to have that real sense of connection and have your encouragement to be mm. super aware is, you know, that's that next generation in yeah. this area that will have yeah. that embedded in, in them and will take that info out yeah. and that love and that connection out. I think that's I think, huge. And it's becoming quite normalised too. Growing up now, just like, oh, yeah, we know all the words mm-hmm. of, you know, the country here and we know what land we're living on and, yeah. you know, not all of them, but, I, you know, it's much more prevalent now than definitely when I was growing up. Definitely. So the nibbles are Mm -hmm. little very quick Mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. Who's your favourite cook? Um, You can say your mum. I was just about to say that. (laughs) I'm like, I actually think, can I say multiple people? Yes. Yes. So I actually think that my group of um, friends, we've got this recipes group that started, I think, like four or five years ago, mm-hmm. this text message chain. And I think there's about 15 friends wow. on that. Yeah. And they just, you know, every week we put someone will share a recipe or not. Um, and they are my favorite cooks. That's awesome. Yeah. I love they this. inspire me. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to break the nibbles rule and Fine. just ask a follow up question about <laughs> this recipe. Group. Yeah. Um, tell us more about how it started. Where did the idea come from? Um, I think it was. <sighs> I can't remember and one of them might get cross if it wasn't, but I think it was my friend Geordie, who's also a fellow artist. I went mm-hmm. through art school with her. I think she started this group because she loves food and she loves cooking and mm. um, and she's very involved with food and wine and I think she kind of inspires me to be a little bit more mm-hmm. <laughs> into it. But I think she started it um, and, you know, we're all new mums and home and feeling a bit, about food and having to cook every night. And yeah. So we created this group called Recipes for Uninspired Mums. I was going to say, I'm assuming you've got it. You've yep. got to have a really great name. Yep. I love Recipes that. Recipes for Uninspired Mums. <laughs> and um, Yeah, and it's still going strong through all the new babies. We've added extras and, yeah, and it's, you know, it's not just about food. It's about, you know, my baby's not sleeping, what yeah, do I do? Yeah, it's and, community. And now that, you know, we've got kids who are older and then there's new new babies coming through. Mm. It's like a, I guess it's like a mother's group, but we didn't want it to be like a cheesy mother's group. We were like, let's actually do it yep. around food because food's such a coming together type thing. Yeah. And for me, living so far away from all this huge group of women that I, you know, appreciate so much, it's been a really um, amazing way of keeping connected to them yeah. over the years and, um, keeping those relationships really strong and beautiful. I, I still remember sending a screenshot of me with my VB after having <laughs> after having my second baby in hospital, being like, "Yes, <laughs> having my VB," or something, you know. Or I wanted a beer, but John, you know, John, turned up with a VB. I, you know, vividly remember these are the things that we've shared about mm. food and yeah, it's really beautiful. That's it's a so it's a really special thing. Yeah. Oh, shout out to the uninspired mums. Yeah, yeah, love you, ladies. Yeah. You might have an uninspired artists um, mm. chat group. We don't know, but who is your favourite artist? I don't think I can pinpoint one. I think of the more famous ones, I think I'd have to say Agnes Martin. Yeah, and particularly, you know, the way she mm. is so restricted in the way she makes things, that kind yes. of gives me a sense of... Cy Twomley, Brett Whiteley, Helen Frankenthaler, yeah. lots. Um, but contemporary Geordie. Yep. Mm. She's been a big, big influence on my career as we kind of exited art school and mm. started exhibiting together and have taken different paths and things. Um, another friend, Catherine, I've got one of her works on, on the wall. Okay. Catherine Dolby, Sally Anderson, that's like my dream is to have one of her huge works on my wall one day when we build a house. Mm. Jessie Dolman's another one I, I went through art school with. And I just got a work from... We've got two works on the way. I can't wait. I'm so mm. excited. By Sarah Darling, who just exhibited it. Yeah, nice. And Lily Bennett, who is an Indigenous artist. Yep. That I've just done a trade with, which I'm very Ooh. excited to get them on the walls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah art trades. Oh, so good. Yeah. What's your favourite kitchen sound? No sound. No children. I was about to say that is, <laughs> yep. No one yelling awesome. at me for a snack five minutes before dinner's ready. <laughs> No, just no, no one, one requesting in the a change. <laughs> just yes. me. My my book playing. I no, listen to books mm-hmm. um, or music, wine. Yeah, no mm. sound. Good answer. I yeah. love that. Mm. What about kitchen smell? That can relate to mm. not having children around you as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think like 
spaghetti bolognese. Oh, There's something really yum. like homely about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, just that's one that we have every week because mm-hmm. the kids love it and it's easy and yeah, nice. cheese oh. on top, you know, very yeah. homely. Nice. Amazing. What's the latest thing you've learned to cook? Oh, a cauliflower pie from my group, my recipes group. It was cauliflower and and halloumi. Oh, wow. Nice. Mm, I'll I'll share it with you guys. Yes, please. Yes, please. When we bring up the starving artist mm. archetype, mm-hmm. just as a very gut reaction, how does that make you feel? Um it reminds me of uni days <laughs> and I think, you know, there's that that idea of, yeah, being really poor and living a really good life though, I guess kind mm-hmm. of happiness, mm-hmm. art school, living on mm-hmm. beans. Mm-hmm. A treat for us would have been to go to the Whole Foods store and buy Cara Buttons. That was like our big treat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The starving artist, though, but culturally, I think it's the look of a, of a star, a starving artist. You know, cigar in hand and <laughs> living on what did you say, whiskey? Whiskey at, at eleven a.m. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I align with that, <laughs> but um, but I definitely understand the idea of not being able to. I guess choosing between an art career and a day job. And is there anything that you? like to share that relates to all of that um, about how you support yourself as an artist now? I decided when I did art school, I was like, I I know eventually I'll move home. We'd bought this property. I need to have a day job because mm. I didn't think that being an, solely an artist was actually financially viable, unfortunately. So I became, I did my diploma of education and I got into teaching, which I now genuinely really love doing what I do and I find a real sense of purpose in it but I've always tried to keep my art practice as something that's not financially driven which is hard Mm -hmm. because you know when you have so limited time there needs to be something at the end of it so yeah I think working towards certain things and and doing commissions and commissions are a funny one Mm. I don't think any artist will say that commissions are an easy. Yeah. I mean, thing. I'm biting my lip here. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, tell, it's the whole tell. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, tell. I don't mind doing them. I really, mm. I really love that, um, you know, I'm making something for someone that they're really going to enjoy. And I, you know, I don't ever have a major issue with them, but it does mm. take a lot out of your creative yeah. processing. Um, most people are pretty good. They're like, you know, I just want something with these colours in it. Yeah. You just de- yeah. you decide, which is great, um, and I haven't ever come across very many people who have been really specific with shape or form or anything like that. I think that when they want one of my works, they want it to be organically made. But um, it's still hard because you are you're doing it for money. Yeah, yeah, you're not just doing it for the sake of making a work because yeah. it's totally ingrained in what you want to do. Mm, just understanding that. You know, an artist is generally taking care of the administrative side of things Mm. as Mm. well as the creative side of things and making Mm. their lives more difficult by asking for discounts or asking for certain specifications, I think, is a really important thing to talk about. Um, Are there any other ideas about how you think artists in general could be supported Mm. better? whether that be like setting up systems to make commissions a little bit easier yeah. um, or just the state of funding in this country yeah. or any. <laughs> just the state of the world. In just the state of the or world. Or state of the culture around like yeah. what yeah. we expect I mean, from artists. I think, tall, I think tall poppy syndrome in, in Australia is oh, yeah. ridiculous, this idea that, you know, someone is is being successful creatively needs to be. I don't know, judged or, or I, yeah, I'm, that's, that's maybe some, something else that's I've, I've considered in the past, but the culture of supporting art in the last few years we've obviously mm. seen mm. politically has been yeah. really disheartening for so many people. I mean, you know, music industry, for example. or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also as a mum of two, how does career and food and mothering and 
day jobbing and mm. partnering and living in an environment that's been through fires mm. and and now through COVID. Like how does that's all those intersections are really intense. How does mm. that all sort of come together for you? You don't have to have an answer for that either no, as well. Your no, answer can be money. I think sometimes people are a bit funny about talking about money, but I'm like, no, well, you know, yeah. I've been poor. It's fine. Yeah. I'd really, it's okay. Yeah. And I think that's important too, especially because so many, it's just very relatable. And mm. I think there's other artists that can feel that there's like this validation of someone else's experience mm. and it's okay. Yeah. So we were discussing the starving artist and there was a period in our life during lockdowns where I wasn't working, I took extra time off from after I had my second baby and, yeah, wasn't working for a while and Jono was working for himself. So in that, mm-hmm. you know, you might be in between paychecks and so we were literally like, I can't, I, I was, you know, doing a shopping list and I was like, I can't actually afford meat this week. I said to him, I was like, if you want meat this week, you've got to go and get it. So <laughs> the... um rugged wilderness man that he is he went out and he shot a couple of rabbits and a, and a kangaroo and went fishing and we actually ate like kings that week it was it's pretty beautiful he, and I think he made he got his nan's rabbit stew recipe because um, his dad grew up shooting rabbits every afternoon mm. for dinner mm-hmm. he's from Germany they'd, yeah. they'd migrated out here mm-hmm. and were living on land down the road and um yeah and so you know he has these skills of being able to just survive and it was actually really liberating I think anyone who's grown up poor Mm -hmm. like you know I grew up pretty poor um I think there's a sense in you know you don't want to live like that but you also can find pride in the fact that you can survive when you're in those really dire straight Mm -hmm. moments yeah and you know like we ate you know fresh fish and rabbits and kangaroo it was pretty awesome yeah yeah and it's like everything around here provided for you Mm. but also your skills you have them like elementally there's something where you were then probably able to like look at all this food and be like holy shit yeah we did this yeah yeah Yeah. it really was you know we were both pretty down Mm. about you know the money situation Mm -hmm. was pretty hard yeah Money, yeah, no, it's, it's hard like relatable. that when you don't have it. It's really hard, but yeah. um, but we got through it, and I think we can look back and be like, "Yep, you know, we we can we can do it. Yeah. We can survive if yeah. we need to." This is another topic that you know one of the reasons why we started the podcast mm. was to talk about the fact that when you don't have a huge budget for food, there are still things that you mm. can do to mm. eat well and eat a nourishing, yep. healthy meal and it can range from going and getting your own meat to going to the market before closing time Mm. to just getting creative with the ingredients that you have rather than going and buying more stuff like there's actually a lot you can do if you think outside of the box we want this to be a resource for anyone listening to know that you can nourish yourself mm. when you might not have the budget for it and it's and it's important because mm. you know if we're putting good fuel into our bodies and we're doing it in a creative way that is only going to manifest itself yep. in an outward creative yep. energy too yep. and yep. we need that for for us to do yep. what we do and healthy mind healthy body healthy mind exactly. definitely yeah absolutely yeah. yeah i think the the life that we live is is pretty privileged in the sense that you know, Jono does have those skills and we do have space for our own garden and a lot of people aren't in that position. Um, But even just like growing your own herbs and adding them Mm -hmm. to a meal, just honestly. And that would change That makes, yeah. yeah. If you have a packet of peas and you have maybe like a little bit bit of parsley or or mint or, yeah. It actually genuinely is, Mm. you know, you can go and buy things from the shop and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, and this is aspiration to be growing all our own food and, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty hard. It's, it's not, hard, yeah. <laughs> it's not realistic yeah. for as everyone. As spoken about yeah. You. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> you know. it's not, you know, we've got to have the time to be in the garden and, um, but yeah, just growing your own herbs even is just, so mm. I always say, cause you know, a lot of people when we were growing more, they were like, Oh, you know, I want to start a garden. And I'm like, just start small, start little, yep. you know, lettuces, yeah. 
Grow your own lettuce, guys. Well, yeah, now that they're like the what, same price as a small car. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Grow some lettuces. And also maybe you are going to have to go out and get like an $18 lettuce, but you can regrow that. You chop that thing yep. off and you chuck yep. it in a little um, in a little bowl with water yes. and you can regrow your lettuce. Like, yep. And if you don't know how to do that and it, feels, it doesn't feel accessible, you can – like YouTube is an enormous mm. resource there where you can learn how to regrow all sorts of yep. crazy green things yep. mm. just by just in like little yeah. cut, celery, you know, milk cartons chopped yes. off, yeah, bit of dirt, yep, potty mix. And if you don't have access to that, maybe asking somebody else who might have mm. something like that. Like, yeah, spring onions is my big thing. Mm. And celery, I was regrowing celery a lot for yeah. a while, and and older yeah. people, older well, people elders, seem to have those elders. our elders ha- have mm. those skills of yeah. They actually did, you know, I know we kind of knock the boomer, but <laughs> they actually did come from, you know, they grew up in a generation where mm. their parents were actually doing that because that's, yeah. that's the life that they lived. Yeah. So and minimizing maybe we need to go back to that. Yeah. I think all the huge things that are happening in the world at the moment and have happened in the last few years throughout all that food is definitely something that brings mm. people together and has that power to create love. Mm. Love that. <laughs> I 1,000% agree, yeah. absolutely. When you are feeling particularly stressed or uninspired, mm. <laughs> what is like a go-to quick, healthy, nourishing meal um, for you? Mm. Spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> we, um, yep, that's basically the one that I know that they're going to get. I put stacks of veggies in it. Yeah. And I know that they're going to eat it and I mm. know I can put it in the freezer and I can come home after a long day and... Yeah. Heat it up and they'll yeah. eat it and I'll eat it and everyone's happy mm-hmm. and we can make it into lasagna or we can, yes. you know, I've just got this like staple yeah. bolognese recipe yeah. that gets me through those totally. stressful yeah. mum work yeah. life days. Yeah. yeah. And is there anything for you personally, maybe carrot cake? Oh, me? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, the herbal tea, mm-hmm. like just fresh produce. Mm. Yeah. Special about fresh things from our garden. Mm. What is your favourite utensil or gadget in the kitchen? Ooh. Oh, I have this cool thing <gasps> for <laughs> mince meat, <laughs> but it can be yes. used like for cauliflower if you're making like cauliflower mince or whatever. And it's like a, it's almost like a masher, but it's yeah. got like a star shape on the end of it. Mm. Mince everything. You chop cool. everything up. We'll get a photo. Yeah, we'll get a definitely photo. need a photo. We'll a photo it's just plastic from the shop. It's mm-hmm. nothing fancy, but it's really handy. Yes. Yeah. It's a good favorite. Mm. Um, can you share a kitchen disaster story or a funny story? <laughs> for every day. <laughs> um, I think for me, my moments of like, oh my gosh, are, you know, small children yep. at home. One of them. I do remember sending a text to my recipes group going, how do you guys do dinner time on your own when you've got a tod, like, you know, a baby that will not let go of your leg and who's oh. screaming at you for being picked up and oh. um, and a toddler who's <laughs> toilet training and, mm. you know, it, yeah. Mm. It, yeah, wild. I'm very glad I'm past that point now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You've probably <laughs> picked up a few superpowers from that but if you could name one cooking superpower what you're best at in the kitchen what would that be oh gosh pressure um (laughs) multitasking it sounds like it it definitely sounds like it yeah I feel pretty proud when I get dinner on the table when I've been home by myself with them Mm. which I think you know is just part of the Mm -hmm. journey of Mm -hmm. parenting Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep yep What's a special food or ingredient that you'll go to extra lengths for or even expenses for? I think meat Mm -hmm. is one that I don't like to, I think ethically, you know, we decide that we're going to eat meat and we're going to do it well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cheese, nothing wrong with some good cheese. Mm -hmm. I think if we're, you know, if we're somewhere where there's, you know, mm. like Tilbo with the cheese Bloody factory. Tilbo. Oh, my God, yeah. we're going yeah. there this afternoon. We're going to talk about, yeah, we are heading to Tilbo. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we, we Jono and I, remember when we lived in Byron, we were at uni, well, I was at uni and he was doing a trade and we were poor, but we used to go up to the deli at, at Harvest mm-hmm. and, <laughs> yeah, we'd spend, like, <laughs> yeah. all our money on cheese and salami. It's dangerous. In a few words, and I think I might know the answer to this, how mm. would you describe your cooking? Very homely. 
Yeah. Mm, very, yeah, wholesome and nourishing. Mm. That feels pretty accurate yeah. after mm. our little time here already. That's exactly <laughs> how I would imagine it. Um, this is my favourite question. If you could recreate any existing artwork in the whole world out of food, what would it be? And it can be anything. So it can be something that you've seen. It could be, you know, like a Cy Twombly. It could be yep. something by Agnes Martin. It could be something by any of your kids, but it's making that work out of food. Yeah. What would it be? I could see a total Cy Twombly work with spaghetti bolognese. I was just about to <laughs> say, yeah. <laughs> like, hands yeah. in it though, like, you know, no brushwork. It's the... You know, mm-hmm. just see my children recreating it. Yeah, they would love just, that. that like Not on any project. surface yeah. in this room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is mm-hmm. where we talk about the wonderful recipe oh, that you are yes. sharing with us. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit about it earlier. But can you tell us a little bit more about what the recipe is and the story behind it? Granny cake, Mm -hmm. we call it now. Um, So this is a carrot cake recipe that my mum, I don't know where she got it. I think she probably found it in some book when she was living on the communal farm, Mm -hmm. you know, in her pure hippie days. (laughs) Um, And she's adapted it. But I imagine you'll share the picture of the recipe so I got her to I wrote it down last night with her um and it's all like you know a thumb full of butter or two women's hands of I love this (laughs) great um you know not to be gender specific but um you know of of carrot or you know she's it's all very wholesome it sounds Mm -hmm. very wholesome and she yeah she literally made it every single week of my schooling life Mm. And when I was in year seven, I went to the same high school as my cousin and she used to make me go down. He was in year 12. So she used to make me go down to his hangout every day and deliver him carrot cake. <laughs> so gorgeous. <laughs> this is a little year seven kid, you know, visiting a big cousin and all his friends. And now she makes it for my kids and they have it, granny cake. That and they have so it in special. her garden at, you know, the end of the day when they're mm. there after school before I pick them up for work. And, yeah, it's a real special eaten to death, but mm-hmm. it's that real home yeah. feeling when I think of, of granny cake. I think yeah, of mum I don't think and, you can eat cake to death. Like this, yeah. this will shock you actually. I didn't have carrot cake until I was in my mm. 20s, had not had it before, and yeah. it's now one of my favourite cakes, yeah. uh, especially the icing. Yeah. Like the, the, oh. yeah. yeah. Well, this is... This is very different to. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is like the, the real hippie version of carrot cake. Awesome. If, if that's the way yeah. I can describe great. it, it's very healthy. Yes. It's almost like a slice, and it's very Ooh. dense. And mm. I'm you know, so excited! Yeah. I'm so excited <laughs> to try it. <laughs> so, do you ever get to cook this, or is this just no. your right? Oh, I I could, but I don't have an oven. I have a yeah. Weber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I cook also, you biscuits in the Weber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And mum cooks it. Yeah. 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 I've never, I've never actually cooked it. I mean, really? you need to really. No. If you've yeah, got you it don't. on tap. Yeah. It's something but... that she, she does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's special. Yeah. Mm. Does she have specific rules for this mm. specific recipe? Yes. Is it something? Mm, yeah. So it has rules? to be, and I've written it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was pretty funny last night. She's like, you cannot make it in because you have to put sesame seeds you put the butter in and then you put this you roll the sesame seeds onto the butter to make it not stick mm-hmm. but you can't do it in a metal tin because mm-hmm. that will burn the sesame seeds mm-hmm. so it has to be one of the old fashioned glass cake tins yeah. wow. that, you know you can put in the oven mm-hmm. yeah um you can't put the cuz you have to melt the butter and mix it with the honey and you have to wait for it to be cool enough so that it won't cook the eggs you know she says 1 to 1 and a half cups of flour but it's a consistency thing. It's a very intuitive thing that she does. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely find out and mm. I'm really excited we'll be to making make it. it. Mm. One of our last interviews, it was really nice. We took a meal that another guest had shared with us, yep. um, a really special one. It's called Lover's Curry. Wow. And it was the curry that he cooked for his partner the first time that yeah. he cooked dinner yeah. for them. And oh, that became the... known as the the lover's curry yes. and that kind of won over the heart of the yeah. partner. And But we cooked that for someone else and it's just oh, what I love really about beautiful. gathering these recipes is yeah. that 
that we get to try them and, and then share and them, share them, and mm. yeah. And it's just the whole thing, this. this food thing, that it's you mm. know brings people together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, what's your mum's name? It's just so Eve. 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 Thank oh. you, Eve. <laughs> Eve, we're so excited you. about this. Yeah. And it's tea with this cake, right? Yeah. That's what you drink with yeah. it. Yeah. Well, she would have. I mean, she would. You know, she likes herbal tea, but she's a real avid black mm. tea. Mm-hmm. No tea bags. Yeah. Which mm. blasphemy! I have tea bags. <laughs> um, honey. <laughs> Always yeah. and good organic milk. Yeah. Full cream milk. Ooh. Would you eat it with anything else? Or is it is it's mm, the main I think event? It's, yeah, I don't think you yeah. need mm. anything yeah. else, just the tea. What are the flavours that you love in it? It's quite sweet, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have any sugar in it. So she puts mm. dates in it and oh. honey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I used to get really car sick and that was something that I would always take with me when I'm going on trip. I still get car sick actually. Mm. Um, when I was pregnant and nauseous, it was mm. something that I, I guess that sweetness would just, yeah, remedy that. Mm-hmm. That mm. is really interesting that it's something that has like the flavour and the the texture has mm. been with you your whole life mm. and it is medicinal mm. as well yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That's really yeah. cool. I don't, I don't think I have that. This could be it. This could be yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure Mum would be very happy to um. She might be to posting it. it to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> What's your best cooking hack, or is there any wisdom that you've learnt? I think just focusing on one meal at a time. Mm-hmm. I can make something really well if I'm just focusing on one thing at a time. But I've realised because sometimes I like to pre-make food for the week ahead. Mm. And I don't seem to do them well if I'm doing multiple things, like if I'm making like a stew and a soup. That's basically my hack, well, for me anyway. Especially with tiny humans as mm. well. I think that's, that's mm. incredible to even have the foresight to know that you need to focus on one thing mm. if you're going to make it right because then having to manage all this other stuff yeah. going on is yep. mm. it's huge. It's yeah. a lot of Bluey while I cook. Oh, yes. Shout yeah. out to Bluey. Bluey. <laughs> I love Bluey. Yep. So we spoke a little bit before about Tilba cheese Mm, and for people that aren't Mm. familiar with the south coast of New South Wales, Mm. Tilba is a town that used to be a very famous dairy producing Mm. and still has the original cheese factory there. So Tilba cheese is something that we discovered when we, Tilba I mean, cheese Claire's, is God. I've been coming yeah. up here since I was three weeks old. I'm exactly, lactose yeah. intolerant, but honey, <laughs> I am coming back every single time. Give me that Tilba cheese, get it oh, in me. I love it. Yeah. Yep. And so this region is so full of little yep. pockets and little producers of special artisanal foods. Yep. Mm. Tell us about some other parts of this, this region or other foods in this region that you love. Um, I'm not a big fan, but oysters, mm-hmm. obviously we live on one of the biggest oyster lakes yep. on the South coast. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that they're, a, you know, they're a native food, you know, they're so sustainable. The practice of, of farming them is mm-hmm. such a sustain, mm-hmm. sustainable practice. So, um, oysters are a big thing and you can buy them. You can just go down the end of the road and buy them. I don't mm. think he's there today. I was going to say we might do um, that. Yeah. <laughs> but you can, yeah, you can literally go down there or there's lots of places in Tarthra. Lots of little roadside stalls. Mm. The Cow's Nest one mm. is a good one with preserves and things yeah. near Candelo. There's not a huge food culture here, I think, like, you know, coming from Melbourne, obviously, because we don't have the population for it. But I think the cafes that we do have, they do it quite well. And yeah. they're very into, do. Um, mm. you know, seasonal and mm. and um, local produce. Mm. Yeah. Little general store in Candelow. Yeah. Momos in Marimbula. Honor in Burton. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you Honor can't Bird come to the just... South Coast and mm-hmm. not go to Honor. Mm-hmm. Um, they made, I remember we bought a whole big log. It was like a chocolate raisin, almost like slathers of of chocolate and raisins and dough in this, we were almost eating a sandwich of it. It was beautiful. That sounds incredible. That mm. with some butter on it. Yeah. Yeah. As you and your community and sort of the, the wider community around here um, continue to heal after the fires mm. and everything that's happened throughout the pandemic, is there anything, I guess, that, that listeners can do in terms of supporting artists in this area, mm. places that people can support artists, whether yeah. it's um, like markets or, um, I don't know, initiatives or anything in the area? Art Month is huge is here and they have the Art Trail 
that's great. That's a yeah. really, yeah, okay, really great way of supporting the artists in the area. They have the art trail. There's heaps of events. We, I was part of the Motel Art Fair last year. Really great way to kind of see the artists in the area and mm. and support them and great way for all those creative people to connect as well. Yeah. yeah. So fostering community and keeping mm. it yep, mm. going. Well, and we'll include links to all of this mm. stuff. Yep. And um, thank you so much for Marys. being so open and generous with your stories. Mm, and good. I think that I personally have really been noticing um, and I relate a lot to what you say about this thing of cycles and mm. how, you know, at mm. the moment you are getting a lot of fulfillment from teaching. And I think I made the connection as you were telling that story just about how much you were taught by the elders in your life. And mm. I think you must feel a little bit of that sense of purpose from being able to do that mm. for the younger generation. Yeah. And there's so much value in that. And I think that that will absolutely feed into your work as well. But yeah. it sounds like a very exciting time that you have here with, mm. you know, building a, a house and living on the land and, and raising kids and, mm. and, continuing to get inspiration in your work so yeah it's been really nice to chat and now we get to eat some food yes so excited super super exciting but we have two things to eat though because we have um eve's granny cake but you Mm. also made a pie very it's an official art pie (laughs) very excited about the art pie super improvised cauliflower leek mushroom pea awesome. with turmeric and ground um, coriander and just whatever spices we could find. But also the pa- it's like a very kind of homemade butter pastry Did, did you as make well. the pastry? He made, made the pastry. pastry. So yeah. that's yeah. awesome. This guy. Yeah. So it's yeah. going to be, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> and it was all, the produce was bought all from the, the side was, of the road yeah. um, at the Kalaroo Tarth mm. turn off. Mm. So that was pretty yep. exciting. Yeah. Um, so, so we're going to get into, into that. that. But thank you, Lily. It's no been so worries. nice to chat. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. All links to what we chatted about, including the recipe from our guests, are on our website, www.whatartisteat.com.au. We'll be back in a fortnight with the next sitting and we'll have another wonderful creative at our table ready to chew on the myth of the starving artist. Everything you heard in this episode was written, recorded and produced by us, Claire Lefebvre and Zoltan Fetcher. You can support us by liking, subscribing and sharing what artists eat with absolutely everyone. Ever. Thanks so much for listening.